Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm excited to talk with our guest today. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jennifer Lang from the University of Saskatchewan, and I had the privilege of studying with Dr. Lang and singing in the Greystone Singers under her direction. Dr. Jennifer Lang is an Associate Professor of Music Education and the Director of Choral Activities at the University of Saskatchewan, where she conducts the Greystone Singers and teaches choral literature, choral methods, choral pedagogy, and elementary music methods. She is the organizer of the Department of Music's Music Education in Action series and the founder and organizer of the You Sing, You Sask Choral Festival. While completing her graduate studies at the University of Western Ontario, Jennifer was awarded a Shirk Doctoral Fellowship and was an instructor at the John Wright Faculty of Music and Faculty of Education and Teaching Support Center. Prior to completing her doctorate, Jennifer served as the program leader of vocal and instrumental secondary school music with the District of Niagara Arts Academy in the District School Board of Niagara. Dr. Lang's research examines engagement and agency in music education programs, including informal music learning and a variety of educational contexts, music creation in the classroom, and intergenerational sharing programs. Jennifer is also an active conductor, choral adjudicator, clinician, and conference presenter with local, provincial, national, and international invitations. Welcome. It's so good to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Olivia. Thank you for having me. It's great to, to talk with you and to connect again. Uh, it's been a little while since I've had you in the choir, and I know that you're doing some wonderful things. So congratulations on, on all of your accomplishments. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I'm so delighted to get to speak with you again, because it's always a treat. I like to begin each of the podcast episodes by asking sort of the origin story. Can you tell us more about yourself and what led you down that path of being a musician? Sure. Well, I think like many people, we have stories where we remember our childhood experiences of music and, you know, hearing from your parents how how much you connected with music as, as a child and, you know, learning to sing before talking, these sorts of things. So music was, of course, always as it should be an important part of my family upbringing. And also education was as well. Both of my parents were teachers. And so I knew that I always wanted to go into education and I knew I also had a love of music. And so the fact then that I could combine the two was was something that I never thought that a dream like that would never be possible. And my parents really did stress in, in all of their children that there's a holistic side to life. And so we all did sports, we all did music and the arts. And so I was heavily involved in singing, piano, a lot of string instruments, actually. And so those were all kind of extra curriculars of course I did them in school as well but spent a lot of time after after school uh, involved in these activities which I was really fortunate to have and then when it came down to all right what am I going to do in university I thought I actually had a little bit of a struggle and I think I think part of of, of speaking about about our, our real experiences and sharing the the messy blurry parts of, of how we come to be is important as well so I really did struggle with whether I wanted to do music full-time in life you know I had a few teachers who, when I told them I was interested in something else or doing anything else, they really tried to, you know, steer me full time. Well, you have to be doing music full time if you, you know, if you want to to have a, a career in it and be and be really good in it. And and so, as someone who kind of didn't like that pressure, I I really considered different options. But then I ended up going into my undergrad music education career, and I loved it. And I got to spend all day with people who who kind of breathed that air as well. And I did my my undergrad graduate at Western and I did my my Bachelor of Education there as well and then I taught high school music 
for about nine years in Niagara-on-the-Lake, which was the community I grew up in. So I was really privileged to to be back in my home community. And in that time, I taught um, vocal, uh, jazz band, strings, repertoire. And of course, I taught other courses too, like sociology and English and geography. And, and those were those were cute because you kind of got to, to meet a different, different group of students in the school. But I always said to the students in my music class that I do actually have the best job. I get to be around young, aspiring people who love music just as much as as I do. And we get to celebrate that each and every day. So that's how I, I came into the, the music education world. Oh, that's great. So what was it about choirs? Because you really are a choral specialist that made you want to become so involved to the point of this is what you this is really what you teach in university. I know you teach other courses, but you are the, the choir guru. If I can tell you that what led you down that path of being a choral conductor and that sort of stream of musicianship? Yeah, well, and I guess it always, always goes back to the experiences that we're afforded as young people. And that's why early music education, I think is so, so important. But it's those experiences that you have that you know, enrich your life, and that when you don't have them in your life, you really feel the absence of them. And so many of my highlights in high school were, of course, you know, looking up to high school music teachers being involved in the choirs, the opportunities you got to, you know, to meet other singers, to go on trips with them, to really bond with them, to really feel cohesion uh, among a, a choral ensemble is so important. And so being a singer in that really inspired me to want to create that for other people. And some of the highlights of my university experiences were singing with all four choirs, university choirs and and symphonies, doing some of the major works like Elijah and Brahms Requiem. And that's why I'm so incredibly proud and pleased that I get to work with the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra all the time. I really believe those experiences that we were able to provide the singers at, at university to, to sing these great masterpieces alongside like a fabulous orchestra like the SSO. It's so, so important because those experiences shaped my love of of choral music. And so that's sort of how I, I came to really appreciate choral singing and having those really those really beautiful experiences and moments when I was singing in those, you know, those collaborations and I would really feel the power of it all. And and you know, those aesthetic experiences or moments that that we talk about where you you realize you are just part of something so magical that you couldn't do on your own is so important. And so I remember those experiences like I, you can still recall the chills and the shivers that you get when you experience them and it's something so unique to the arts and and music specifically that was really the sort of the, the catalyst for me wanting to create those experiences with others and then when I when I taught high school I started off I inherited a, a little choir in the high school and then over the years I saw it grow and grow and grow and that was, that was something that I, I took a lot of, of pride in and we had wonderful experiences too of touring and doing some great, great musical moments. And then when I went to do my graduate work and for the first year, I did a little bit of teaching, but I didn't have access to choirs and I really felt the loss. So when I say that I, I knew I wanted to do choir because I've had the experiences and I've also had the absence of it, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. And so I knew then when I was looking at other choir conductors and standing in front of the choirs and, and, uh, and making music and I knew I'm like, I really need that back in my life like that's something I can't live without then I knew that that's really what I had to pursue as well and that's such a, a great testament to like I think the communities that we find in fire 
some of my closest friends are from choirs and singing in choirs. Specifically, I think of Greystone singers and uh, some of my really dear friends are from Greystone singers. And that's how we met is we met in the alto section. (laughs) I remember. Yes. (laughs) I think I said we got a lot of side eyes. Absolutely. You got the long glances for sure. (laughs) So can you tell us more about some of the specific challenges that choirs have faced in the pandemic? And what does a return to normal look like for the groups that you work with? I think there's something really unique about the choir experience because it was one of the last things that got to come back. Absolutely. It was it was one of the first ones threatened uh, and the last to come back. And fortunately, we worked really hard here at, uh, at the U of S in the music department to keep singing throughout. There was about one term where we were all on Zoom, but then we were gradually able to come back in person in, in numbers, like in kitchen numbers. But I think that was really important. It was really healthy. And it also spoke to the fact that many people still craved a community, even when we were online and forced to be online. That really speaks to the special experience of singing, of choral singing and and what that can provide to people. So just being synchronous and, and seeing each other and singing even on mute, knowing that people were still having their voices heard was really important. So I think one of the biggest threats was that singing was dangerous. It was harmful just because of the aerosol and droplets that were coming from the mouth. And so I think we're feeling the effects of that now as we return to singing is that we have been told for a few years that our, our mouths are dangerous. And even though they're, they create such beauty when we, when we speak, when we lift up our voices in meaningful words and song. So we have to kind of deprogram ourselves to, to think that way. And we have been masked and we have been on mute. And so we have forgotten that our voices need to be heard and it's healthy to do that. So one thing I, I did notice when we came back in person was that people kind of adopted some retreat behaviors with their voice and not sort of singing out, but, you know, singing behind the mask and feeling that they were muted and that they had to really restrict their voices. And once we kind of got past that, and I think we're we're, we're getting there, which is great, but I, I think that's really healthy, not just for the, the overall sound and aesthetic of the choir, but just for our health, our well-being, um, our mental well-being, is that what brings us together is that we have a voice that contributes to the greater good. And when we learn that we are responsible for contributing to that, and we're reminded of that, of of the necessity of each and every single voice making up the beauty of the entire choir, then we're going to be in a, in a better position to, to, to really come back to a full, thriving uh, choral experience. So we're getting there for sure. And I know that it's been a rough and, and rocky road for, for choirs, for music ensembles, but for choirs. And, and that advocacy piece is so important. And the choral community in Canada and internationally really had to come together and rally for recognition of, of singing and safe singing that can happen. And again, speaking to the fact that we've had these experiences and then we've had the absence of these experiences, we now really know how important it is for community and, and for our well-being. And you know that that's kind of where my love is also going is into into music and well-being. So, so I think that's a really important next step for us as a community and the world to really recognize how singing, singing together is really important for our physical, our psychological, our mental and spiritual well-being. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that's interesting that you bring it up that you felt perhaps people were more reserved when they were singing with the masks. That was something I also noticed. And then the other thing that I found to be a challenge, particularly with my 
my kids' choirs were I couldn't see their mouths. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, what does it look like to open our mouth and what vowel shape do we want to use? And they, you know, they don't know because the, everything's behind a, a mask. And so there's that added challenge that I think kids who maybe join choirs during the pandemic, because that was the case for a lot of my students, and then now are coming back into in-person choir. It's a, just a totally different experience for them. Absolutely. Well, and, and one of the wonderful experiences about choral singing is that relationship that we have, you know, with each other. Singing together is all about relationships. It's about one's relationship to the music, one's relationship to oneself, one's relationship to the other people in the choir, and one's relationship with, with the conductor as well. And so, you know, we, we know there are, are so many positive associations with this idea of mirror neurons and how, you know, people mimic and mirror your, your facial expressions. And so when half of your face is covered, it's really challenging to to feel that connection and that and that communication. But I think it was there. And I think that was a really important revelation as well. Like you can mask us all you want, but we're still going to <laughs> really have the, the power and the connection that that singing together really brings. Exactly. We're not going to stop singing. You know, I just thought like the ingenuity of choirs, we transitioned online and it's like you couldn't you couldn't stop a choir from singing. You can keep them from meeting. That's exactly it. That's right. You can't stop us from singing. I mean, there's so, there, there are so many wonderful songs with that that theme, that title. You can't. There was a choir here in Ottawa that I know was for a while rehearsing in parking garages in the middle of winter. Yeah. Well, I did that with Aurora Vache. We did a kind of a piece, an advocacy piece. Um, we called it Choral Night in Canada. And, uh, and we got together out in the middle of, you know, Saskatchewan winters. Yeah. <laughs> we got out into the road and we would practice on the road and then we'd have cars come by and everyone would scatter and yell car and then we'd come back there and sing so it was quite a spoof on um on on hockey uniting canada yeah. i love that that's so fun that's great so you're conducting the graystone singers at aurora vache you've you've mentioned that in conjunction with the sso this year so can you tell us more about the nordic light concert that you guys are a part of and the work that the choirs are singing and what we can look forward to in that concert yeah i've been wanting to do this collaboration for a really Really, really long time. As you probably know, I'm a big fan of Eric Eschenwald's and I try and do at least one piece a year of his music and singers love it too. It's just so sonorous and you kind of just melt in the harmonies of his work. So I initially heard this, this work done at Podium, our national choral, choral Canada conference, which was in Newfoundland. And they had a number of Newfoundland choirs come and sing in it with the orchestra. And it was a really lovely multimedia media production. So I think what the audience can expect is this this wonderful tribute to what it means to live and experience the North and how that translates sonically and visually as well. And then when Mark Turner came on board with it as well, I was really excited. And I know that there's a week dedicated to the North. And in fact, I, I've always been fascinated with the North. Even I recall I grew up in Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is, you know, in southern Ontario. But I was always fascinated with the theme of kind of survival that her 
permeated Canadian literature, you know, Farley Mowat and Margaret Atwood and Margaret Lawrence and Carol Shields talking about survival in, you know, in, in relationships, in love, in life, and in our Canadian terrain. And so that fascination, actually, when I was trying to come up with a name for this, uh, the community group that's now the Greystone Singers Alumni Choir, it was like, yeah, Aurora has to be in there so- somewhere. Yeah. And I've heard Eric uh, Eschenfeld speak so passionately about this, this piece in person and drawing on all sorts of experiences that people have with the North in different areas of the world and bringing that all together. I think it's a really beautiful way, again, of reminding us that as a music community, we come together and our work just kind of transcends all countries, all nations, all people. And that, again, something much greater than us is at play here. There's something very, very powerful and beautiful about that. And so us all coming together in this way as we come out of of this pandemic, hopefully, I think is very symbolic. And that's what this piece represents to me. I love that. And it's going to be such an effective time of year because we all know February in Saskatchewan is the coldest month, you know, and that's when we can, you know, February and January, when we can see the, the Northern Lights. And so I think that that will be such an effective setting. I'm really looking forward to uh, to watching that. I think so too. Oddly enough, most of the university searches when they're bringing in faculty members happen around January, February. So people that are, are coming to consider working at the university, they really get, you know, what it's like to live here. So when people do stay and accept the, the position, they really do commit and they know what they're getting into. And uh, I actually think it's one of the most beautiful parts about, about being here is, as again, you, you can't appreciate the warmth unless you really, you really understand and, and feel the, the opposite, the cold. So when you're programming a choral season, what are some specific factors that you're taking into consideration in your planning this year? Yeah, it's always a good question. It's a challenge because you don't necessarily know the choir you're going to have in front of you when it comes to September. So, you know, you have to kind of plan your program. You have to order your music for people that you don't know exist yet in your choir. It's always a fun challenge. And that actually makes it really rewarding because you can, you can put together things that you think might work and then you run through them. You're like, oh, okay, maybe this doesn't work for this group or maybe it doesn't work for the, the tone of the group or the spirit of the group or even just the voicings of the group if you if you don't have the, the voices for it. So that's always a fun part of the process. And I think that's a good reminder that we can't always prescribe everything or we can't always know for certain what things are going to look like. We have to be really flexible. We have to be really aware of what is working for the group or not working for the group. I always need to be moved by a piece of music in order to present it to the choir. And it doesn't mean that, you know, everything has to be, you know, super lush melodies and just heartwarming moments. We all know that some of the most rewarding experiences are the are the, are the ones that are call us to really work hard on a piece. And maybe we don't love it originally, but we learn to love it and we know it's good for us. We know it's kind of like eating your vegetables at dinner. You grow while you're learning it. Exactly, exactly. And I think that too, thanks for saying that, because I think that's really part of the special process about about working with choirs too, is that the nature of our relationship with the music changes as we change with it. And I think maybe I've recycled two or three pieces since I've been here. And only because I think maybe it it called for the theme of it, or there was a specific function that we were asked to sing and that a piece really worked with. But I do know that even though the piece stays the same, 
the singers singing it are different. And so the piece never sounds the same as it did. And my experience conducting the piece never approached the same way because there's a different group of people um, in front of me and working together. And, and so that's, again, a beautiful thing about choirs is that it's always evolving. It's so dynamic and temporal. It's dependent on the, the relationships that you have and the people you have around you singing that at, at that time. So it's it's always a dynamic, changing experience. Yeah, so I, I think even though it's nice to sort of come up with a theme, sometimes that doesn't necessarily work. We do our concerts, our term concerts with, with University Chorus. So there are a lot of different songs that we're doing and, and a few different conductors. And we try to do group pieces together, try to bring in instrumentalists. So often we'll partner with the SSO and bring the uh, the core musicians in for, for some pieces. And so it always you always kind of just have to be inspired by pieces that you come across and if they work together that's fine but I think forcing things into a theme can be a challenge especially in university where it's important to give a taste of a lot of different styles of music and languages and eras so it is a curricular consideration as well but it's always nice too thinking ahead to working with the SSO in that you know if we do get to do a, a big masterpiece like Brahms Requiem or Mozart Requiem, then that really checks a lot of boxes yeah. for, for what the students as singers need to be involved in. So that's that's always something to consider as well as the overall year and what our projects will be with other groups. Absolutely. I think I remember, I think it was my second year singing with the Greystone Singers where we sang the Golden Harvest with the SSO. And that was such a challenge of switching from English to French to Ukrainian and back again all throughout the work. And it really ticks off those boxes of language requirements as well. Well, and thinking back on that, I've thought about that year in particular a lot this year, obviously. And so you can imagine if we were to sing that this, this year, year at, this, yeah. at this time, giving, given everything that's going on in the world, just how meaningful that, that would be. And so I really look upon that year with a lot of fondness and and heartfelt memory for what we were, what we sang and, and understanding the migration of Ukrainian Canadians in Canada is, I'm grateful for that experience. Absolutely. That for me was one of those choir moments that I I can look back on and remember where I was because that concert held so much magic. Being in that moment and being in the room, it was so special to be a part of a work like that by Larissa Kuzmenko. So now I'm going to shift my questions just a little bit. You're in a newer area of research, not new, but on music and wellness, and you're really forging a lot of paths at the U of S in this area. Can you tell us more about that work, how it came about and the specifics of what you're focused on? Sure. Yeah, I'm really excited to be sort of leading this area in music and well-being. Again, it all comes down to our early childhood experiences. And my grandmother had Alzheimer's and I was quite young when when she had she had passed. But I do remember very, very fond moments of singing with her and her taking such joy in me being around her and singing. And so throughout my life, I always did cherish the relationship that seniors especially had had with music and not understanding why. But then in my doctoral research, one of my case studies was exploring engagement and agency with seniors who had dementia and partnering them with secondary school students in an intergenerational choir that rehearsed, learned music, some old music, some new music. But I saw the, the benefit of the reciprocal relationship that each generation offered to the other. And so that was a big research project for me. As I 
said, I, that was one one case study within my doctorate. And so seeing the general well-being, the, the amount of joy and enrichment that all participants, including their caregivers, received was, it was some of the most meaningful research. I, I was so blessed to be able to, to be involved in, in this. And so I had to continue it. So I do have a, a choir now where we've uh, partnered with Sherbrooke Community Center and Evan Hardy students, and then some students here at the university who are interested in music therapy and well-being. And we were shut down for COVID, obviously, and we're looking forward to getting back into that. So again, I think my area of music education is not a silo. It's inextricably linked to music and well-being. Because if I consider what my my true philosophy is of music education, which is a democratic one in which all students, all people should have access to quality music education, regardless of socioeconomic status, resources, area in the world. Why do I believe that? Well, I believe that because I believe that music has value and that value is linked to, to well-being, whether it be, you know, we, we tend to focus on, well, what are the academic and cognitive benefits of music and how can it advance our grades and our brain power? And there is that, absolutely, but there is so much more to it. And this pandemic has really highlighted that as well, is that there's more to us. It's not it's not just our, our voice and our brain, but it's our it's our heart, it's our connection, it's our spirituality. And so if I'm if I'm advocating for that for music education, then I'm also advocating for the, the benefits of music music and well-being. So knowing that there are a lot of music therapy programs in in Ontario and and BC, but there there's a a kind of a a void here in in Saskatchewan. And I need to be very clear, I am not a music therapist. I have the utmost respect for the uh, specific training that goes into that. And I do think that as as the, the world becomes more global and interdisciplinary, that we do work together, you know, in music education and music therapy can be very well connected and should be aligned. But just seeing that there is a need for that here and really passionately believing in that, I put on a conference at the end of May in 2021. And that was that was really well received. And out of that came the the idea. I'm thankful to Ardell Reese at the University of Alberta for this idea of this course that she ran. So I, I kind of modeled that. And there's a course here now, an online course running for the second year, which is is quite well populated. So I'm, I'm really glad about that. And we have two uh, music therapists as instructors for that course. And then we're also proposing a music and well-being certificate. And most recently. I'm the pillar lead in the the signature area on music arts and well-being for the greater signature area of health and wellness. It's really lovely to see the university support arts and well-being. And that's exactly what we're seeing by the university saying this is an area that we believe in and it's important and it's valued. And so I think we're going to see some great things come from from the support that the university has for for this particular area. Absolutely. And I hope so as well. I think that a lot of emphasis in wellness has been on the physical and mental side of it. And music therapy has always been in that mix. But I think now because of COVID, I'm seeing it a lot of places that music is being pushed to really be equal with the physical wellness in order to help the emotional wellness. Absolutely, Olivia. And and um, 
uh, one of the projects that have come out of the conference is the presenters are putting together chapters and I'm editing a book part of my sabbatical project for music and well-being and the great thing about it is that we see such a wide variety of topics related to music and well-being whether it be you know in community contexts or in academic contexts really fabulous to see and we don't always know about the programs and supports that are out there in our community and I think this really can shine a light on advocacy efforts that we need for music therapy holistic therapy in medical settings in community contexts so it's it's been a really really inspiring project to put this together oh that's wonderful and I'm looking forward to reading that book that sounds great well it's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you we're gonna wrap up our conversation with a few rapid fire questions no wrong answers just go with your gut can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician oh rapid fire question uh, I guess it would have to be no I think it I think it was when I when I couldn't be a musician when I couldn't yeah. when I didn't have music in my life in that kind of that choir context in in my in my doctorate when I'm like no I've this is this is what I, I have to do yeah it was the lack of that that made you realize yeah favorite piece or song to perform you know, it's so that's such a hard question. That's why you're just the best interviewer ever. You just get to the, the core of it. Um, every piece I do, because it comes from a place of love, I I love. Um, but I we did this one last just last term with upper voices in Greystones, so sopranos altos. We did this song of Miriam by Elaine Hagenberg, and it was it was just like it took us on such a musical journey and I loved conducting it so much so sometimes it's like okay what do I love to listen to what do I love to sing what do I love to conduct and like that would be one that just wraps everything up into yeah. a little package so I would say yeah, I would say a lot of her music I, I just love to to bring to the choir Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Have you ever been given bad career advice? And what was it? Well, okay, maybe I've been given bad career advice, just in terms of not I know this is is kind of lifting and amplifying female voices. So I will I will say that sometimes we're given advice as women not to value ourselves as we deserve to be valued. And we don't advocate for ourselves or we don't negotiate for ourselves when it comes to getting rightfully could be compensated it could be acknowledged so I think that would be the the bit of advice that I should have been given perhaps right. better advice about that right yeah it's just be glad you're here you know yeah yeah like it, that's exactly it like who who are you to kind of look a, a gift horse in the mouth you should just be grateful that you have this opportunity presented to you and uh, no in fact you need to know your you need to know your worth and that goes for everybody yes yeah. What's some good musical advice that you could pass on to up and coming musicians? I would say you can take risks and don't think that you can't do it all. And I know that sounds a little bit far reaching, but I just I've come across so many people who think they have to do music education or they have to do music mm. performance and ne'er the twain shall meet. <laughs> and it's so wrong. It's yeah. so wrong. You can be a wonderful music teacher in the schools, And music education is not just confined to four walls in a school. It is 
It is in the community. It is, it's the, the moment we're sung to as a child. That's when music education begins. That's why teachers and parents are so critical for, for the development of music education. But we think that things in music are siloed and we're learning that everything can be connected and you can be a, a teacher and you can be a performer. You don't have to choose one or the other. You don't have to give anything up. You can in music, you can have it all. Right. It's wrong to say to education students, you're going to focus on teaching and performance students, you're going to focus on performance because the reality is, is we want our educators to be able to play their instrument well. And we want performers to be able to teach because it's a necessary part of being a musician. Absolutely. And if I can just in interject a, a, you know, a personal story, it's that I, I never thought I would be teaching in, in the university. I was really, really so happy teaching high school music. I loved it. I had the I thought I had the best best job and I and I would love it if I have have to um, to do that at some point again but sometimes you don't take risks and you don't ask yourself the really challenging questions because I I knew then that I wanted to go on to graduate study because I just wanted to I wanted to advance my practice I wanted to advance thinking I wanted to be with other people that were thinking the same things and taking ideas and then bringing them back into their classroom and then I just kept going on from there but I think you know if you're not open to to different avenues in your life journey then you never know what's possible. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. So last question, what music are you listening to right now? A good friend who is in the math department, and again, like music and math, they just go so well together. He's really kind of uh, introduced me to Gregory Allen Isakoff, and I am just listening to like everything. And then I'm not a huge fan sometimes of YouTube suggesting things to me because I like to actually be turned on to things that I don't think that I, I would like. Right. And so I kind of want the opposite. Like, we don't think you'll like this, but listen to it anyway. <laughs> YouTube has been recommending some really cool things because I've been listening to to this artist and and I think what what gets me about, about listening to to his music is just it's kind of kind of simple and raw and just I think when I kind of became a choral director specifically full time I really learned to appreciate lyrics and you know to understand the symbolism of the lyrics with the music and look for the connection so I, I'm so drawn to really powerful lyrics and just kind of raw out there there, lay it all on the table kind of emotions. And words are so powerful, as we know. We know so much better now uh, how words can can harm, heal, or or help. And so that's what I'm what I'm drawn to at this moment on my playlists. Oh, wonderful. That's great. Thank you so much for being on Loud and Clear. I will have links to uh, everything we've talked about and referenced in the podcast so that people can go and look that up and, and look at that artist and uh, also buy tickets to the Nordic Lake concert that's coming up. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Olivia. Again, it's so good to connect with you again and best of luck in everything that you're doing. You're just taking the world on by storm and you're the just the exact person that we need at this moment in this music community. So nice to connect with you again. Thank you so much. And that is a wrap on my episode with Dr. Jennifer Lang. I'm so grateful to her that I was able to speak with her. And it's always so wonderful when I get to reconnect with her and learn from her and her choral pedagogy and all of her teaching philosophies. They've just been a real gift to me over the years as a young music teacher and choral director. 
I really encourage you to buy tickets to either the online concert through concertstream.tv or I encourage you to purchase tickets to the live concert that the SSO is putting on in conjunction with Aurora Vache called Nordic Light. It's going to be a really incredible experience and I'm really looking forward to listening in online through ConcertStream. So check out that concert and take advantage of that opportunity to listen to some really fantastic music. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and we're now on Apple Podcasts as some of you are enjoying listening there. If you could hit some subscribe and give us a rating and review that would really help other people find this podcast and also if you could share on your social media platforms or share with somebody that you think would enjoy listening to a music podcast it really helps to grow our audience and to get the word out there and I'm just so grateful for those of you that come back week after week thanks so much for tuning in my name is Olivia Adams this is loud and clear and I'll talk to you next week